2 Timothy chapter 2. <clears throat> I want to speak this morning on something a little different. I've entitled it, A Positive Push in the Right Direction. A Positive Push in the Right Direction. 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning to read of verse 1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that it may please him, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth must first be partakers of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Keep your Bible open. We will be referring to that portion of Scripture. Let's pray. Father, again will you take us and Lord, take your word and and print it within us, inscribe it in us. And Lord, for whatever our need is, we bring it to you this morning and we ask you, Lord, that you would look upon it in grace and favor and in your great mercy and loving kindness that you would deal with every heart. We pray, Father, in Jesus' name that you would speak, speak clear. And Lord, let us not leave here the same way we come in. Let us leave different, whatever that measure may be that you have touched our hearts. We ask you, Lord, that you would help us all to walk before you, to walk in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit and the Word. We worship and adore you. We love you. We praise you. There's none like you. Your Word is a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. So give us all, Lord, that positive push in the right direction as an assembly and as individuals, and glorify the name of the Lord Jesus. For his sake we ask it. Amen. Amen. A positive push in the right direction. And I want the Lord to have his way to minister to your heart. I've been running through this since I I had written it on Friday. And I I want the Lord to to look upon your heart and you say to, to yourself, Lord, Will you deal with me as, you've, as you want with me? Whatever God says this morning, as Mary says, whatsoever he saith, do it, the Lord Jesus. Says to those when he was asked to, uh, when, when he says, go fill the water pots uh, with water and, and he would turn them into wine. And she was saying, whatsoever he saith, do it. So whatsoever he saith this morning, will we do it? Will we yield it? Will we set it down? Will we uh, come under the authority of what God says? This is a positive push in the right direction. Whenever I was looking for a title to call this, of four points of it, I was going to call it four spiritual shoves or a, a, a spiritual kick up the rear end or something. I don't know what I was going to call it, but it's a positive uh, shove in the right direction. A positive push in the right direction. Paul gives Timothy four things to help him in his ministry. Paul gives Timothy four things to help him also in his afflictions and his trials. He's a young man here, and and he's set down to to minister to a church, and there's so much going on in it. 
And he doesn't know what to do about it. He can't find a way through it. He doesn't know what, to, what way to handle these situations. And he's just a human like you and like I. And, and what happens is we get weak, we get weary, we get tired, we try so hard, we've just had enough, we throw our hands up in the air and want to run for the hills. Who's ever felt like that? I have. Help him a lot of times. Paul also wants to help him in his faith, to build his faith up, to help him in his walk with God and to sustain him in his courage and his mind and in his resolve to go on in God. Too many Christians are not going on in God. Too many professing Christians are not going on in God. They're professors, but not possessors. They profess Christ, but do not possess Christ, many. Here, first of all, here's our four points. First of all, he tells him in verse 1, be strong. Be strong. Paul isn't saying to Timothy here, there, 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 I'll pat you on the back. Dear, love you, Timothy. Let's help your hurt. He's not saying that. He's saying, Timothy, understand your God and get on with it. The pastor says that today, everybody falls out with him. The elder says that today, everybody falls out with him. Your friend says that in Christ to help you, they fall out with you too. Be strong, he says, in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Notice, be strong in it. In verse 2 is our second point. He says, commit. So the first one is be strong. The second one is commit thou to faithful men. Notice, he didn't say commit thou to absolutely perfect, sinless men, for there aren't any. Only Christ alone is. But faithful men, men who will be faithful to the word and faithful to you, Timothy, that's the only ones you need to be committed to and to commit things to. Thirdly, is in verse 3, he says, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Endure, Timothy. Notice, be strong, commit, endure. Verse 7, he says, consider. Consider what I say. So first of all, let's look at be strong. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Notice, Timothy, don't rely on your own endeavors. Don't rest on your laurels. Don't look at time past. And yes, we can gather that the same God who did things in time past is the same today, of course, and we rest in that. But we must also understand that our past experiences may encourage us for the future, but we need a new experience every single day. We need fresh manna every day. We must Be strong in the grace that is in Christ today. Many of us worry for tomorrow. And Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, therefore take no thought for tomorrow, what you'll eat and what you'll wear and what you'll put on and so on. He says, for those, the the unsaved think of these things. They run. The heart that isn't for Christ chases after them, runs after them, pursues those things above the things of Christ and his kingdom. But really he says, Look, Timothy, you need to be strong in grace. Pursue the things of God. Understand who your God is. Pursue the Lord Jesus. Don't rest on your laurels. Don't trust in your own endeavors, not in your own strength or your own ways, 
Not in your own giftings and your own talents. Listen, we could have we could have the best of the best of musicians and singers, and we do have good and great music, except for myself, musicians and singers. But at the same time, we could have the most professional of singers and no spirit of God. It's good to be good. It's good to be in practice. It's good for all of those things. But God didn't pick those who are, those who are the, the worthy. He picks the unworthy. For those who say they are worthy really are unworthy. They just don't know it. And God doesn't, he doesn't call the perfect for there aren't any. He calls the imperfect. And in that he uses your weakness. He uses the imperfections of you and he's making you, he's molding you, he's fashioning you to be more like his son. Every day when we walk with him. He says, don't trust in your own giftings and talents and your own strengths. And Many times people would say, oh, maybe you didn't play right or you didn't do that right or you didn't sing that in time, you didn't do it. Listen, see the next time someone says it, hand them the mic. Hand them the drumstick or whatever, the guitar. The toilets weren't cleaned right. Hand them the mop, you know? Soon changes. The men and the women who are striving for the things of God, laboring and enduring after God, will find that critics come. They're never good enough. But understand this, when you're in Christ and doing it with the right heart, You're before him every single step of the way, and he loves you. Your labor of love, not for salvation, but your labor of love before Christ is written in his book. And he is not unrighteous to forget those things. He says, don't trust in your talents or your strength, but be strong in grace. In other words, I can't, but you can, Lord. I'm unable, but you're able, Lord. I'm unworthy, but you're worthy, Lord. I'm not perfect, but you are perfect, Lord, and and I am in you. Be strong in the grace, grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The grace that is in Christ Jesus. This grace is, if I could term it, supernatural grace. It is otherworldly grace. It is grace beyond our comprehension. It's grace which is, is of infinite wealth. It's grace which is full and free and flowing. And this grace extends to every one of us this morning. Extends to me every day. Afresh and anew like the manna that was on the ground when Israel came out of their tents in the morning. When Israel were sleeping at night, they had their trust in the grace of God and in the word of God that manna would be on the floor in the morning when they woke up. And when they were sleeping, the ovens of heaven were baking. You have to understand, brothers and sisters, that whenever we can't trace God, we must always trust God. There's times we can't feel his presence, but it's not feelings, it's faith. The ovens of heaven are always baking, as it were, ready to pour out grace, baking to pour out the fresh manna for you tomorrow. You don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will look after the things of itself because God is already there preparing the way for you. 
You're here, you're now, you're today, you're living, you're breathing, you're in health, you're able to go on in God. Trust God for today. Be strong in the grace that you've received this morning and be strong in the grace of Christ. And when tomorrow comes, that will be your new day where God will already be there waiting for you. He is not set by time barriers nor by a clock, but rather he is the infinite. He is the eternal God and he's already there. This grace is extended and abounds over our sin, over our failures. Am I saying Christians, we should sin? Absolutely not. Should we continue in sin that grace may abound, Paul says? God forbid, he says. Under no circumstances, let it not be so said. But yet, we're human. We're in our bodies. We make our mistakes. We're to pursue after righteousness and we're to try our best to walk before God. But you will fail. Brothers and sisters, I will let you down. I'm a man. I won't mean to, but I will. God's grace is sufficient for you this morning. Do you know what that means today? His strength is made perfect in your weakness. Oh, I'm weak. His strength is made perfect. That means you get no glory whatsoever. You need to catch this because when you're at your lowest ebb, when you're at your furthest point, even if you've fallen and you've failed and you fell and you're, you're away from God, at your very direst, weakest point, it's then God's glory can show by how he lifts you up, carries you on in grace in him. For when you're weak, he is strong. And you realize, I realize, we realize that it's got absolutely nothing to do with ourselves. This great salvation has got nothing to do with you or I. Be strong in the grace, Timothy. Be strong, young man. Be strong, young woman. Be strong, older person. Be strong in the grace today. God's grace is upon you. And tomorrow it will never change. John chapter 1 and verse 14 tells us of the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He tells us Jesus is full of grace and truth. We think of a man, the man Christ Jesus. We think of the Son of God and we think, well, he's a man and he's gracious. No, 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 no. That's not what it means. Like you'd be gracious to someone if they owed you money and you says, oh, I, 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 you haven't paid me yet, but I'll give you another week or month or year to pay. You're being gracious. Jesus isn't gracious like that, like a man is gracious or a woman is gracious. He is eternal spirit and he is infinite in his grace. He's eternal. And for as much as he is eternal, so is grace is eternal in him. That's why we must be saved by grace through faith and not of ourselves. It's a gift of God and not of our works, lest any of us should boast because that grace we need for eternity. He's full of grace and truth. Verse 16 of John 1 says, Of his fullness have we all received on grace for grace. What does it mean? It means grace heaped upon grace. Grace keeps coming. Grace keeps going. Grace keeps flowing. Grace keeps reaching. Grace keeps giving. Grace, grace, grace. I was... Uh, I read one time of a man explained it like this. He says it's like you go down to a tube station... And you go to get on the train at the tube and whoosh, away the train goes. I've missed it. 
I've missed grace. Grace is finished for me, Lord. But as soon as the back end of that train sees your eye, then our train comes up and he says, get on the next train. Get on the next train. Grace for grace. Get on the next train, brother. If you've fallen, repent and get on the next train. Sister, repent and get on the next train. It's not too late when there's breath in your lungs. Get on the next train. Maybe you haven't come to saving faith in Christ. Get on the train. It's not a gravy train, it's a grace train. Here, he's of his fullness have we all received in grace for grace. John 1 and 17 says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Here we have two hillsides, Sinai for the law, and Mount Calvary, Golgotha, for grace. Moses comes down, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt have no other gods before me, thou shalt take thee my God, thy God in vain, and so on and so on. And he brings them down, and, and Israel are, rose up to play, and they've got their false idol gods of the, of the bull calf, and they're worshipping, and they're, pra- they're, they're praising this bull calf. These be thy gods, O Israel, who brought thee out of Egypt. <laughs> the living God is shaking the mountain, The living God is alive and well and they're down worshipping a dead idol. And brothers and sisters, we have to think to ourselves, what is it that we give our time to and our worship to and our heart to? To whom is behind that? What spirit is being manifest in that? That thing we love so dear, that thing we love so much, what spirit is calling us to that thing? That attitude, that way of life, that bitterness. What is it that is calling you for? It's surely not the Spirit of God. But the Spirit of God will always point out the beauty of Christ. The loveliness of Jesus. And the blood that he shed at Calvary. Two hills are mentioned, Sinai. And the other is Mount Calvary, Golgotha, where Jesus shed his blood and died. Here we find grace. Here we find mercy. Mercy is when we do not get that which we do deserve. Mercy found me whenever Ken who deserved hell, Ken who deserved to go to a lost eternity, Ken who deserved punishment uh, uh, forever and ever and ever, uh, uh, eternal damnation. He did not get it. That's what I deserved, and I didn't get it. And I will not get it because I find grace. And it found me at the place called Calvary. It's only at Calvary the eternal grace of God is found. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. It's not at Sinai. The law points to our failure. The law points to our sinning. The law points and says, Ken, you are damned son outside of grace. And I've been drawn by the Spirit to the cross of Christ. And there the calling of the Spirit, I answer the call. And he draws me to see the Lamb of God who bears away my sin in his own body on the tree. And I can cry from as far as the east is from the west. So far hath he removed my transgressions from me. And I trust you all can. That's grace. 
I did not get what I deserved, but rather I got that which I did not deserve. I got Christ. I got forgiven. I got forgiveness of sin. I got cleansed and washed in the blood. I got the Spirit of God to live in me. For law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Listen to what Romans 8 and 3 says. For what the law could not do, that it was weak through the flesh. The law could not do, it was weak through the flesh, sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Let me put it in a layman's term for you, a laywoman's term for you. The law points to me and says, the law of the Lord is perfect. There's nothing wrong with the law. We hear many preachers talking about, oh, the law of the law. No, no, no. There's nothing wrong with the law. The law of the Lord is perfect. Converting the soul. You and I are imperfect. It was weak through our flesh. In other words, we couldn't keep it. Our flesh lets us down. Our minds, our humanity, our depraved state and nature lets us down. We have no way of keeping the law of God. So the law was weak through our flesh. What did God do? Sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now note, likeness, not in sinful flesh. He came fully flesh, but it was in likeness. He did not sin. He knew not sin. He was yet without sin. He is the impeccable, sinless, spotless Lamb of God. And he says he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Why? To condemn sin in the flesh. In other words, the sin that condemned me, the sin that condemns you, the flesh that says, you know what? You're bound for a lost eternity. That says you're bound for a, a devil's hell. The sin that says you're going to go to the grave corrupt and decay and you'll be lost forever in an in in expanse of outer darkness. That same sin that condemns me, Jesus came, kept the law. He never sinned. He went to the cross and he gave it on to me and to you. That's what it means. He condemned sin that you and I would be free. Brothers and sisters, what a wonderful Savior he is. What a mighty God we serve. That's grace. God of the ages, of all eternity, came and bore my sin and yours. Paul tells Timothy to be strong in this grace. Not in his own strength, for as the hymn writer says, the arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. The arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. You, Timothy, you Christian, put your name in there this morning. Put your name in there today. You can. Truth be told, Ken, as far as our own righteousness goes, before God, our works of righteousness are as filthy rags. They are as filthy rags. As far as our own nature is, it is as we are as others, as the children of wrath in Ephesians chapter 2. In other words, we are the children of wrath outside of Christ. We were like that, now we are in Christ. It is our nature is fallen, it's depraved, it's sinful, it's dead. It's dead in trespasses and in sins. And as far as our own hearts are, the Bible tells us the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Our own hearts, we would search it at times and say, Lord, I'm searching my heart to see how good or bad I am. You can't search your own heart because it's wicked. It'll fool yourself. We have a way of fooling ourselves to make things okay. It's called self 
righteousness and justification. Well, we'll just make it seem all right. We'll believe it's all right, and that makes it okay. No. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart, he says. And I try the reins. Only God can search the heart. The eternal spirit, the Holy Ghost, he searches the heart through the word of God and in a line with it. What is God speaking to our hearts this morning? What is God speaking to your heart this morning? Our courage fails, our strength weakens, our faith falters, our spirits wane, our mind depresses, our thoughts wander into other places and realms other than the glory of God. Three things of the soul of the man and the woman, the human, spirit, soul, and body. Let's look first of all at the soul. First of all, the soul looks inward. The, the, the real you and you. You know the real you. If you look in the mirror, you see the flesh. Well, the real you that nobody else knows. You know the real you that's way deep in there. You know the real you that God's speaking to now. Do you know the real you that only you and God knows and you're maybe even your wife or your husband doesn't know or maybe your mother and father or your children don't know. You know the real you, the real feeling of you way deep in there, the real consciousness of you. Looks inward because it says it's about me. That's the soul that will stand before God. You think about that. That's the soul we want to see rescued for eternal welfare. Salvation. The real you who's in trouble that you can't explain to your nearest and dearest even how you're feeling, even though you try. The real you that nobody understands what you're going through and how you're feeling. Even people who have been through similar things, maybe they understand it all, but not really how you feel, what you're thinking. Where you are, the real you, your soul, the real center of your being, it looks inward. And we become selfish. It's me, myself, and I. It looks inward, desiring the pleasure of self. Our flesh, our bodies, secondly, our flesh, our bodies, looks downward. It's made of the dust. God took the dust of the ground and formed Adam. It's made of the dust. We are dust. We return to dust. We lie in the dust. We are dust. It looks downward. In other words, it's earthy. It's worldly. This flesh of mine, if the Spirit of God was not within me, this flesh of mine would want to be doing what other ungodly men and what other ungodly women and unsaved want to do. It would want to do it because it's flesh and so would yours. So would yours. Our flesh is depraved. Yet the only difference between my flesh and the flesh of an unsaved man is that Christ has redeemed mine and he's going to change it in the day when he returns and yours if you're in him. There's no difference in us 
and that worldly person, but rather we're redeemed waiting for a change. That's why if we don't fight the flesh by the word of God and in the spirit and crucify the flesh, then we will walk according to the flesh and not the spirit. The flesh looks downward, desiring the things of the world, craving the things that are temporal and never eternal. The quick fix, the here and now, uh, the pleasure for this season, the greed and the lust that's in the world, and the flesh runs after it. It's like Esau. Esau comes in from the field, and Jacob has got his pot of lentils on. He's got his stew on, and Esau comes in from the field and smells the stew. Oh, and it does smell good. And I wonder, Jacob, would you give us some of that? I need it now because... You know, I'm so hungry, I'm going to die. I was not going to die at all. If I don't feed my flesh, I think I'll die. No, if you don't feed your flesh, the Bible says you'll live. That's the difference. If we sow to the flesh, we shall of the flesh reap corruption. Well, if we sow to the spirit, we shall reap of the spirit life everlasting. He says, give me of your lentils. Give me off your soup or your pottage, he says. And, and Jacob says, well, what will you give me? Well, what do you want? I'm so hungry. It's the here and now, the quick fix. It's the, it's the quick McDonald's drive through Or as our kids call it, the McThrough. It's the, the quick fix. Everything's quick now. Everything's this morning. Everything's today. We can't wait on God. We can't go, go through and endure anymore. It has to be candy floss sermons. And it, and it has to be all the beautiful, flowery, and lovely things in a sermon. Because if it isn't, then we don't like to be tempted or tested rather too much. Not tempted, tested too much. We don't like to be convicted. And we don't like to be given a, 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 a positive push in the right direction. We want to sit where we are. Jacob says to Esau, some of your birthright. This is a birthright. And this was a big, big thing. I'll teach you about that sometime. It's bigger than just saying, well, there you are, you've got a birthright. This is a massive thing. And it's something that God had ordained. He sold a birthright for pottage of soup or lentil stew or whatever he was baking. Something temporal for the eternal. And Esau filled his belly, but within hours he was hungry again. I says the Allison, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> excuse me, I, uh, I've said this uh, before to you, and some of you have, most of you maybe have heard this, but I'll say it again. I said about my dog Harley. We should call him, we should have called him Esau, because he's this big double, you know, a quilt you put on the bed, the big heavy tog, and I fold it over double. And he just, boom, it's like a big, he just lies in it. There's this big puffy bed, this massive big bed in the garage. He's just only bits fenced off and he has his wee food and he has his wee drink and that does him during the night. And I even turn a wee light on and a wee timer and it goes off for him. So he just gets his food in time and then he falls asleep. And he's never any bother. <clears throat> so I said one time, Alison, I think we should have called him Esau. See, even when it's snowing outside, if the rain is pelting down, 
If you go to Harley, the first thing you do is you open the big door and he just lies there and he just rolls over. Scratch my belly. Now, Allison scratches. I don't. I use his nose. And I have a handful, one or two wee treats in my hand and I go, Harley, look. And he goes, <gasps> and he jumps up and I walk him out of the garage and I just turf them outside and he gets them outside. That's him out for the day. He's got his box out there, out there also, but for shelter. But that's him. But this lovely, warm, cozy bed, it's just so lovely. But one or two little treats is enough for him to give that up to go outside in the cold for hours. I said, he should be called Esau. And you know what? He never learns. He does it every single morning. He never learns. If it was me, I'd say, uh, you're going to have to tap me a bit more than that. I'm lying here. Hardy gets up and goes. Esau was like that. Esau was like that. Our flesh is like that. Men and women, Christians are selling their birthright. They're prostituting their inheritance. They're giving their birthright for a quick fix here and now solution. They're giving away their birthright for a little bit of the flesh that they may hold on to it, that they don't seem too radical for Jesus. Brothers and sisters, here's the word this morning. Don't let your heart deceive you. There are men and women who are unsaved and they're selling a birthright in God. Be born again of the Spirit and washed in the blood of Christ for what this word has to offer for this quick temporal life that we don't even know when our last breath will be. And then there's the spirit. The spirit. The mind of a man and a woman. Spirit tends to look upward. Flesh in, or rather the soul in, the flesh out, downward, and the spirit upward. But the unregenerated spirit... The spirit that has not been touched by the Holy Spirit, in other words. The spirit of a man and a woman are dead toward God. So what they try to do is they try to figure out in their mind and in their head who God is, what God is, what God would want and what God would like, what he will accept and what he won't. And they come up with their own idol, their own conclusion, like Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai. And God had to give them laws. Here, can you keep that? And unfortunately, whenever we start to think of what God is in our mind and not according to whom God is in his word, you and I have just formed an idol in our minds. And we worship that idol. We give to that idol. And even in Christian circles, sadly, that's what it's become. Our, our Christian service has become an idol. Well, we're living in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's not what Paul's speaking about here. The unregenerated spirit looks at religion. It looks at ceremony. It looks at regalia. It looks at paraphernalia. The, 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 the unregenerated, unsaved spirit may even look at other forms of religious worship. But the regenerate heart, the heart that's been regenerated and quickened by the spirit and filled and touched with the grace of God will look upward to God. In other words, the psalmist says, I will look unto the hills from whence cometh my help. Well, here, now hold on a minute, David. If you want to look to the hills, that's all right, but they're made of stone. I'd rather look to the God. Then he goes, I look unto the hills which come with my help. 
My help cometh from the Lord that made the hills. The Lord who placed them here in the power of his word. See, we stop at the hills. Whenever you and I are unsaved, we stop at the hills. You go to church, well, God must be in that big cathedral. God must be in that big 10,000 seater arena church. God must be there. God must be there because look at how professional they are. God must be there. No, no, no. God is within his people. The, re- the, 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 the quickened, regenerated heart by the Spirit. And that's grace because grace has reached us when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. The unregenerate mind or spirit looks at religion, law, works, ceremony, and idols. But the regenerate spirit of man and woman, the quickened spirit, looks to God. He says, look to God, Timothy. Brother, sister, this morning, whatever you're feeling, thinking, look to God. The word, the word here for be strong in the grace is the word endunomo. And it means be strengthened with strength from the inside. Let me give you an example. Romans 4 and 20 speaks of Abraham staggered not through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. In other words, it's the same word. The faith God had given him, he stood in what God said. He hung on to the word of God, the bare word of God. He didn't need to have a commentary even with it. He just hung on to the bare word of God. The promises of God, he says, he'll make them sure. He went out not knowing where he was going, looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. He went out not knowing where he was going, but he knew God was going to take him. He knew God was there. He's going to have a plan for him. He knew he was going to become a father of many nations, and he trusted God. So when we're told be strong in the grace, it means be strengthened. Understand what grace is. It's not just, uh, well, maybe God will accept you this time. We talk of grace. We sing of grace. But we rarely understand completely what grace is. Strong in grace isn't about being carnal in your mind. People think you live in grace, you can live how you like. That's not what this means. Being strong in grace is not being carnal in your mind and living how you like. It isn't allowing ourselves to be economical with the truth. Well, that's just hell away, even though we know the truth, because we're under grace. God understands. That's not what it means at all. It isn't about making provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof, as Paul would say. Grace isn't, Paul, saying you now have a license to sin. You can sit at ease in Zion. Grace isn't that you can give up now and just live how you like. No, Paul is not saying that to Timothy. Paul is saying, Timothy, understand grace. It's an enjoyment of power from God. The man and the woman who truly are under grace will serve him. They'll serve him. They'll not serve self, but they will serve him. Paul is saying, be inwardly endued with strength, as in our weakness he is strong. We go on in him, we go on for him, we go on through him, and we go on with him. Grace enables us, it never disables us. Grace draws us, it never withdraws from us. Grace strengthens us, it does not weaken us. 
he says, grace confirms us, it does not condemn us. Amazing grace. How sweet the sight. Saved a wretch like me. John Newton knew what he was reading whenever he wrote, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. I remember when I got saved. Saved by grace alone. one thing you'll add to your salvation. There's not one thing you can do to make him love you more. Too many dangers, toils and snares I have already come. His grace has brought me safe thus far. Grace will lead me on. A couple of quotations and I'm finished. Thank you for your attention. Listen to D.L. Moody on grace. A man can no more take in a supply of grace for the future than he can eat enough today to last him for the next six months. Nor can he inhale sufficient air into his lungs with one breath to sustain life for one week. We are permitted to draw upon God's store of grace from day to day as we Need it. What's grace do you need today? You've got it. You've got it. Martin Luther says, grace is to heal the spiritually sick, not to decorate spiritual heroes. Many grace preachers are running about like they're heroes. Oh, grace, 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 grace. And I thank God for his grace. But it's not to decorate them. See, the spiritually sick, the lost, the weak, the infirm, the dying. God's grace reaches them before they reach eternity. Nancy Spielberg, she's a Christian author. I love this when I read this. says, Lord, I crawled across the barrenness to you with my empty cup uncertain and asking any small drop of refreshment. If only I had known better. I'd have come running with a bucket. And that's what we do. We get our little cup. We're, Lord, please, I know I've failed you. I'm so weak. Will you please help me today, Lord? Well, Lord, please. If you don't mind, Lord, would you just put a wee drop, just a little drop in my cup? I am so unworthy of you. Brothers and sisters, it's time to come running with a bucket. Lord, I need your grace today. Here's my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come running with the bucket. And drink of his grace. And say, okay, I've failed, but I'm going on in God. I've failed, I'm weak, I'm weary. I haven't been what I should be, but I'm not what I used to be. And he's making me better than what I am now. I have to stop. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Here's what I've written. Being strong in grace that is in Christ Jesus is humiliating to your ego. Free and full salvation in Christ. To be saved by grace alone is again humiliation to one's ego and pride. 
Ego cries out, I must do, I have done, I am or I am not. When Christ has said, it is done, <coughs> paid and full, it is finished. Grace is li- a living lifestyle of the unworthy, made worthy, the unable, made able, the righteous declared righteous, and the low and the lost lifted to glory with the cry saved by grace alone. Brothers and sisters, may God bless his word. That's only the first point. I thought I'd get through four this morning, but obviously I didn't. I have three more to do in the Lord's will next week. That's the longest one, by the way. I think it is anyhow. I keep going off my notes. Well, brother, sister, what are you going to do? You want to go out in grace this morning? You're going to go out and say, Lord... I'm going to live for you. I'm empowered by your grace. Not the sin, I'm empowered by you. Are you going to come to Jesus by grace this morning?